Welcome to the Philippe Matthews Show at thepmshow.tv. Named the Oprah of the Internet by Mark Victor Hansen, Philippe Matthews doesn't ask questions that are different. He simply asks questions that make a difference. The Philippe Matthews Show features entertainers, bestsellers, authors, thought leaders, change agents, and world-class experts in the field of personal, spiritual, and professional development. An Internet marketing entrepreneur, Philippe is the creator of the How Movement, dedicated to teaching people how to move from the mindset of hope to the process of how. If you are ready to take your life to the next level, move from the mindset of why to the mindset of why not. Tune in right now to this latest edition of the Philippe Matthews Show and watch your life grow. And we're back, ladies and gentlemen, on the Philippe Matthews Show, and today I've got an incredible guest, but of course you know I do this all the time. I only have incredible guests. I always have <laughs> incredible guests on my show. Uh, today I've got Margaret Bendette. She is uh, an incredible lady. It's an incredible story and an incredible memoir. Uh, she is a journalist turned uh, kind of spiritual quest guru. Her memoir is amazing. She actually helps other people uh, uh, write memoirs, and she decided after 30, 40 years to do her own. Margaret, thank you for being with me today. Thank you, Felice. This book, Learning to Eat Along the Way, uh, came from uh, a basically a spiritual quest uh, that happened. You went on an assignment and you kind of never came back, uh, and uh, you left. You, it, 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 you ended up leaving your husband, leaving your job. You followed the Swami uh, uh, or uh, uh, on the other part of the uh, of the world, and uh, seeking spiritual enlightenment. And, you know, let me know how I'm doing here. And you went over there, and um, all hell broke loose. Well, that's a, certainly that is one way of looking at it. I mean, one of the things I got to a point in my life, um, in my 20s, which I think a, a lot of people get to at some point in their lives, where I, I decided, is this all there is? Mm. You know, that's pretty I, young, though, don't you think? That's pretty enlightening, I think, too. Cause I, I wasn't thinking that in my 20s, I'm just sorry to say. Didn't hit me till I was in my thirties, but that's pretty. That's pretty bold of you to say. You know, what, is there more? And you were already married, so you had really started a life for yourself already. No, it's true. I mean, I had. I was the features editor of of, of the local paper, daily paper, and and I was in a stable marriage with a successful lawyer, and I, I had. And we lived in this cute little bungalow in Honolulu. I mean, it had all the accoutrement of, of a successful life. But you know, it, it isn't happiness. Isn't in the in the outer in the outer show of our lives. And mm-hmm. I felt. I mean, it was like taking so much energy to keep all of this. I felt like afloat. I felt like I was maybe juggling oranges. And at one point, I just thought, Why am I doing this? Mm. Is there something else? And so the mm-hmm. book starts out with that search for the something else, for the something subtle, something underneath the material. It starts out with a ghost story, actually. And then, you know, me going to Hatha Yoga and learning meditation and all of and sensitivity groups, which were really big in the 70s. Yeah, absolutely. But let's go back now because you're, you're, you're kind of glossing over the good parts, Margaret. Uh, <laughs> Okay. Let's go back a little bit, shall we? Um, so, 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 w- w- when you decided to to to, what was it in this in in this particular uh, interview that you had with this spiritual 
guru or enlightened being or individual Swami. What, you know, I'm sure it wasn't your first, uh, and, and I'm sure you had uh, known of, of, of folk like this. What was it? What happened that you said, hey, you know what? I think I really need to pack that's everything good. up and go. That's a big deal. What kind that of a, did you make? That is a really good question, and it, it actually wasn't the Swami himself. It, it, I mean, he was wise, and he was brilliant, and he was charismatic, he was powerful, and all of that is great for him, but it didn't have anything at all to do with me. And I I, um, I was interested in him. I mean, I, I went to a lecture he gave. I started going to the place where he stayed to meditate before work every morning, but then on the last day that he was going to be there, something big happened. Do you, is there any possibility that I could read a little bit from the book? Sure, absolutely you can. Okay, so I'll... I'll just read this. Um, I went to meditation the next morning almost as a matter of form. It was Friday, the last day the Swami would be in Honolulu, and I was following through on something I'd agreed with myself that I would do. Then, in the last moments of meditation, I looked into the inner darkness that was all I could see, and it seemed to take on a texture, almost like velvet, I looked at this black velvet more closely, giving it my full attention. When I did that, it seemed to become a curtain, like a stage curtain, which then opened. It pulled back to reveal a luminous disc, like a huge radiant sun, the color of light golden honey. Wow. This, okay, you are this, amazing. This, this disc of energy, let me just read a little bit more, okay? Wow. Okay, Radiated please. warmth. Not a physical warmth, but a subtle warmth like love. Just looking at it, I could feel love. And I knew intuitively it was a deeper part of myself, of me, than I had ever before experienced. Mm -hmm. So this was helping me get in touch with something that was inside me. And that's what I had been looking for. You know, um for me, it was like a miracle. I mean, mm -hmm. I, 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 I'd, I'd spent the last five and a half years exploring these various forms of self-discovery, and mm -hmm. I had always thought that everybody else in the world operated by an inner radar that I alone lacked. Mm. And this luminous, this disc was like the inner identity I'd been seeking all of that time. And mm -hmm. I, I sat there, and then the meditation bell rang, and I just sat there rooted in my awareness of this, inner sun. I had no intention of leaving it. I mean, and it was exactly the kind of experience I'd wanted to have. And now I'd had it. I wasn't going anywhere. And I had my focus on that vision when a fly landed on my arm, jarring me. And I was suddenly thrust back to my normal consciousness. And just before I opened my eyes, I heard a voice inside say, you have work to do. Mm -hmm. And that's what the all hell breaks loose was about <laughs> because the whole rest of the, the whole rest of the book is kind of about the inner work that I had to do well speaking of that inner work uh margaret uh you, you mentioned that you know for 5 years you were on this spiritual quest uh, uh where you thought everyone else had this spark this answer this uh intuitive uh, 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 communication and, 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 and answer, and you did not. 
so re- you were obviously relatively young if you were married at 20. So you're talking about this is your teen years that you were actually still uh, uh, on this quest and asking these larger questions. Now, part of this is fascinating because the question then is what is what happened uh, in your childhood? How did you grow up that uh, you ended up uh, suffering from eating disorders, uh, infatuation uh, disorders that this spiritual quest that you went on brought up, uh, brought out and exposed all of these demons, uh, if you will, that have been that obviously had been haunting you far longer than you were married. Well, actually, I mean, it's like the demons is my word, too. It's like the demons were hiding in the closet. (laughs) I really didn't know they were there. I didn't know I had these issues. And um, it just makes perfect sense that if you're going to look inside, what you're going to see is what's there. (laughs) (laughs) And and the thing is that it wasn't that I was crippled by them, but um, they certainly they were enervating. They took energy, and 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 I wasn't I wasn't happy. Was the eating disorders in your childhood, or was the eating disorders after? Was the eating disorders in your childhood, or was that after your spiritual quest? Well, that was my tendency had always been there, and it the thing is that I, I and I mentioned this later in the book i mean i grew up my family of birth i i was the only person in my family of birth who did not spend their entire adult life as a functioning alcoholic Mm, okay i i I, i'm not an alcoholic but i have my i have my own forms of addiction and actually both anorexia and eating disorder and infatuation are forms of addiction Mm -hmm. sure it is sure makes perfect sense um it's it's interesting how uh, that the the Swami t- told you uh, you have to learn to eat along the way uh, using that uh, phrase uh, is the phrase of nourishment and you were not nourished you well, lacked he, nourishment you, your nourishment was arrested in arrested development. Well, he didn't actually tell me to learn to eat along the way. That's a kind of the title comes from something he said though. You're absolutely right. It comes from something he said at one point that those of us who had come to the ashram had come there in order to gain something. Um, he said something is something you can take with you when you leave, something to eat along the way. And then, um, and that, and that always struck me. I, I, I realized it's like a fund of energy that you get mm-hmm. from doing spiritual work. Mm-hmm. And that's what you take with you when you leave. But then when we were looking to title the book, learning to eat along the way was the kind of thing that would tell the reader something about the story, um, in just a few words. It was mm-hmm. so much about what the territory we were going to go over. So it was the perfect thing to shift his words a little bit into this title. Um, what did you do uh, in the ashram on a daily basis? Walk me through like the first day there. Oh my goodness. Uh, That's so, well the thing is that it, 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 but I didn't, I didn't ever do that per se in the book. I hint at things that we do because it was different at different points. Okay. I mean at some points we were on tour in the West 
At some points, we were living in an ashram in India. At some points, we were living in an ashram somewhere else in the world, someplace in America. So it was a different, but there was always a rhythm to the life. And the rhythm mm-hmm. included meditation. You'd get up and meditate in the morning. It included chanting sacred texts, um, which sounds which is actually a wonderful way to open your heart and connect it to your mind. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we would ser- we would um, perform some kind of service, and the service I performed was different at different times. I mean, at some point I write about working in the kitchen, and at another point I did because I'm a writer and an editor, and I worked on a newspaper. Of course, I did um, PR work for the Swami, and I mm-hmm. and I and I and I wrote and I edited. Um, and the other thing that we do um is kind of built into your life in the ashram is um self study in the form of a kind of contemplation mm-hmm. it's a habit that you get into of looking at why did I do that? what did that mean? what was underneath that this uh you, you, in a sense you became kind of like a spiritual gypsy right because you're moving around different places uh however. This does not sound cultish um, uh, in, in the literal sense. This is that you really were uh, on a spiritual quest. Now, well, I was when did you, yeah, go ahead. When, when did you, uh, and we're going to have to define this, of course, but when did you meet your demons uh, of, of anorexia and bulimia, your eating disorders, and your uh, disorder of, of, of infatuation, how did that come about? Was it right away? Was it over a period of time? How did that manifest itself and, and play out? Well, when, when, when demons appear in your life, they don't usually introduce themselves. <laughs> they, they come in kind of slowly, and, and you don't recognize, um, for, at first, you won't recognize that that's what that is. You mm-hmm. think that you're really in love with that person. And that, you know, you're thinking about them all the time because that's an appropriate thing to do. Mm-hmm. And then at some point you realize, well, this isn't reciprocated. So, you know, that's what, I mean, actually everybody gets infatuated at some point in their lives. Sure. Everybody goes into, you know, some some kind of a, of a crush on someone. But it's, mm-hmm. what, it's, it's what you do with it when the person doesn't feel that crush back mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. that that and 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 to what depth you take it so um then I, it, I mean i guess i guess in the first few years i recognized that there was a problem with infatuation and then after i got to india um was this was, infatuation with the swami no it wasn't with the swami it was with, was with someone else i mean oh, okay um and anorexia, um, I mean, I went to India and I found I had trouble digesting the food. And then this, coupled with some attitudes toward food that I'd carried with me for as long as I can remember, attitudes mm. toward food in my own body, led me to be afraid of eating. And I was thinking about what I, I could eat and what I couldn't eat and what I should have, shouldn't have eaten, and I wasn't eating very much. And so I lost a lot of weight. And then the Swami sent me off to a hospital where I had tests to see if there was something wrong with my digestion. 
And then he sent me off to an ashram in California where I could have, if I'd wanted to, seen a nutritionist or a psychologist, but mm-hmm. I didn't. I still thought this was like a spiritual thing. Mm. And um, I was still having trouble with food when the Swami sent me off to be the manager of a small ashram in Hawaii. And at that point, my desk was right next to the ashram snack bar, which was sugar central. (laughs) (laughs) And from eating too little, I started powering down candy bars and Cokes and and, um, ice cream. And um, I still wasn't eating much regular food. I Mm -hmm. was junk. And from too thin, I became quite plump. So I'm meditating every day, and I'm watching myself go through all of this. And then I had two very powerful experiences with other people, and uh, which I write about in the book but are too long to go into here. But I realized that being crazy around eating just wasn't working for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, as an ashram manager, I'd had to be practical about what worked to make an ashram function. And I had to be practical about my own life as well. And at at that point, I decided that from that day forward, I was going to go for a walk every day, and I was going to eat three meals a day no matter what. And I've done that ever since. Wow. It took about two years before I got over my discomfort about food. And I still have to watch how I take care of myself, but food isn't an issue. And I really did get to the point, I mean, it was life-threatening for me, so it was Mm -hmm. was serious. Mm Mm-hmm. But I'm not saying that meditation is a cure for anorexia, but it helped. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, let's go back again. Uh, something's coming up. Um, was it? Were you ever in love with your husband? Did you what? traditionally fall in love and say, you know, this is the guy that I'm going to be with forever? Oh, you know, the thing is, doesn't our capacity for love deepen as we get older Mm -hmm. and learn more about ourselves? So I certainly thought I was in love with my husband. Mm -hmm. And then, um, and I write about this in the book, too, and we're still friends. You know, it's not not that he's a terrible person at all. You know, I How did you take it? How did that, I mean, you know, did you have a conversation with him or did you just, one day was there and the next day you weren't? Oh, you mean, did I just pack up and leave without talking to him? Yeah. <laughs> no, of course we had a conversation about it, and and we were going through um, what one goes through in a relationship. How long were you married prior to your leaving? Seven years. Oh, wow, so that's a long time. So, okay, so you uh, were you guys ever talking about having kids? Well, I um, we had talked about it, and I had um, um, we always had the feeling that we would have kids at some point, and it and but I never was. I think it's a good thing I didn't have children. I'm not sure I would have been a great a great. Um, I'm I'm not sure I would have been a great maternal mother. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But but I mean, at one point I looked around at the <laughs> at the other at the wives of of the other um, lawyers in my husband's firm. And I, they were, you know, going to the beach with their kids. They were taking ceramic lessons at the local art institute. And I'd always wanted to learn ceramics. And so I said to Ed, I said, we ought to, I, I, we ought to have kids. <laughs> and um, and he said, sure, that would be great. He said, you know, I'm sure the newspaper would give you six-month leave of absence. Mm. And I said, no, I didn't want, I, I, I was thinking about being a full-time mother. And he said, well, he said, I think you'd find it boring. So I um I was I was really 
as I said, I was kind of picturing my life as um, I had way too much to handle at that point. So the idea of adding a child was not what I wanted to do. Sure. Makes all the sense in the world. Plus, you had a spiritual journey to go on, and you had to write a book uh, uh, many years later that, that would transform right. people's lives. So <laughs> we didn't have time for that story back then. Um, so this is really awesome. This is, this is an incredible story. Uh, incredible life that you you have had and are still having, and thank God now you're on the other side of that. Now, looking at your family, uh, you said most of them are functioning alcoholics. Uh, as you began to heal yourself and your relationship with yourself, loving yourself, feeling deserving and uh, nourishing yourself, how if did your relationship with your family uh, morph, change, transmute? Oh, it became um, it, it became much more loving, and um, and a lot of a lot of the rifts between us were healed. I mean, because um, I wasn't I, I was coming from a different place, mm-hmm. and and um, I mean, my 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 parents. I mean, everybody does the best they can in life. Sure, you know, and um, they they actually sacrificed quite a bit to have and raise me and my brother and even my brother i mean we we shared so much so it it we there was a lot that we didn't i didn't share with my family they didn't i think any of them understand why i was doing what i was doing but they wished me well when you um took on this assignment and 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 by the way the the, the swami that you originally followed he also he passed that's right and, uh, um sometimes that can you know um cause one to have a relapse if you will for lack of a better word because we're talking about addiction so that word probably would be apropos but and you decided to follow uh, the the second swami who was who was female what what was the impact when 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 you you found out that that your uh, teacher had passed well it was um a shock um and i mean it, it really shouldn't have been because he was a, he was a, he was an older man he had been in in but uh, it was a shock and then i had an experience um shortly thereafter the thing is that what isn't it isn't obvious from the from the word guru or from the the term swami or from even spiritual master just what such a person is a, a, a person um a person is a spiritual teacher because they're in a state that is um a state of unconditional love and they're not and they're not they're really in touch with who they are completely and so when you're in the presence of a person like that it's it's a contagious it's like a contagious state mm-hmm. i can see that sure it funds your own um it empowers your own search mm-hmm. so when i realized that the second swami as i call her in the book was in truly in the state that the first swami had been in and was able to actually help help me on my journey then there was no question but that she was my teacher mm-hmm, mm-hmm. how long were you now uh, did, did, have you healed your issues with because infatuation is is uh, attachment, anxiety, uh, abandonment uh, issues. Uh, 
how did you heal yourself from that or did uh, where you didn't take that into other relationships in other areas of your life i you know i, I don't one of the things is that when you do spiritual work you're looking at yourself in the same way that you do if you're in therapy i've been in therapy before mm-hmm. you know and 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 you're encountering um you're watching yourself as you go through your life and Something happens in the process of that, and it's almost like magic that after a while you notice that the things that had a hold on you don't have a hold on you anymore. Mm-hmm. And I can't. One of my friends criticizes me about this book. He says, but you don't say why. You know, you, you, you're you better than you were. You know, and I, I really don't know why. I can only tell you that this is what I did and this is what happened, and now as I write in the book, it's it's I, an infatuation doesn't seem to have a toehold with me. I, and mm-hmm. in, 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 in fact, it's almost as if I fall in love with everybody. I mm-hmm. think it's like mm-hmm. it's like I see the beauty in so many people around me. And and um, and food. I mean, one of my great joys in life is cooking for myself and my friends. You have a garden. I heard. I do have a garden. That's right. I have several gardens actually. I've got an herb garden here um at my house and it's but I've got a huge cherry tree in my backyard so it's hard <laughs> to grow much besides the herbs and I've also got a little vegetable plot um in the community garden about a mile away. When did you come back uh to quote unquote the real world? In other words, when you were on your uh, on your journey, uh you were traveling and you were in the ashrams and you were all over the country and, and, and around the world. When did you come back to, quote-unquote, a normal life where well, you began not, to get stable, or is there such a thing? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take exception because I would say, I mean, I was actually living in the ashram for 30 years of my, of my adult life. Yeah, so this yeah. isn't a fly-by-night thing. No, and I would no. say that I was actually <laughs> in the real world the whole time. Okay, <laughs> you know? nice, nice. I like and, that. No, I respect that. And what what happens um, when you live on your own is that rather than having a dining hall cook for you um, and um, a, an IT department take care of your computer, and um, you're suddenly you're 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 on your own in a little apartment, and you um, you do the shopping and the cooking and the cleaning up all yourself, and so you're spending energy on kind of the working. Um, bits of your life, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. not just focusing on on practices and um, and 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 your service in the ashram. So you're 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 doing a lot of different kinds of things. So I garden where I didn't in the ashram. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And was I, it an adjustment I, for you? Mm-hmm. Was it wasn't it an adjustment for you? Was there a phase or period that you had to adjust to that? I, again, it was that the idea of what the Swami said, that you've come to the ashram in order to, um, in order to gain something that you'll take with you when you leave. And mm-hmm. I, there was like this fund of energy that I, that I, there is a fund of energy that I have. I mean, I still meditate every day. I chant. Um, I, I, uh, read my, I read spiritual books. I, um, I do lots of things in addition to going to movies and having wine with my friends. Um, I do spiritual practices that keeps that Shakti, um, that energy mm-hmm. nourished. Mm-hmm. Do you still and, do uh, half of yoga? 
I do, but not as much as I probably should. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, what um, what do you get uh, from uh, meditating twice a day? Uh, that if you stopped, what would occur? Well, let let me speak about a little bit about what meditation is, if, if I can. Absolutely. So uh, there's uh, there there are two different ways that people talk about meditation, and and one of them, it's the practice of meditation, which is to focus your mind. You direct your attention at something, you know, a candle flame or the rising sun or a thought or, in my case, a mantra. And because your mind is fixed on one point, it's still, it's quiet. And because of that stillness, you can feel the energy that underlies our turning mind. So being in touch with that energy is the state of meditation, which is the other way that people speak about meditation. Now, even just the practice of meditation, trying to still your mind, is extremely beneficial. Mm -hmm. I've been working on a book with a neuroscientist meditator. Um, and I mean, she's writing the book and I'm working on it as an editor. And mm -hmm. she and I have discussed how many hundreds, if not thousands, of scientific studies have been done about the various benefits of, of that practice of meditation. The practice of meditation, trying to still your mind, makes the mind sharper, it makes it faster, makes it more agile, makes it, you're, you're better at making good decisions. But for the state of meditation, there have been no tests. I mean, it's just too subtle. There's nothing to measure. Mm -hmm. But I would mm -hmm. say that the state of meditation, a state of peace and equanimity, contentment, is what most of us want from our lives. Mm -hmm. So to be able to dip into that state a couple of times a day is amazing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Is there a particular process that you use to meditate because there are many different types of meditation. Um, I had an interview with a gentleman who was a, a, a master at TM, Transcendental Meditation, and um, the, the varying differences. What, are, what is your methodology? You know, it's funny. That's one of the first questions. When I was doing my first interview with the Swami, that was the, I did not want to write some airy-fairy article about some visiting spiritual person. You know? <laughs> so I, I went in there with, you know, one question and alone. I told him I wanted to write a beginner's guide to meditation. And so would he please tell me how to meditate? Mm -hmm. And I thought he would talk about how to sit and 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 how to breathe and where to focus your attention, which is the kind of thing you're asking for, I think. And what he said was, if you want to meditate, hang out with someone who meditates. It will happen spontaneously. Wow. And I was just, I was floored by that. I mean, and he was speaking to an interpreter, and I thought, you know, what does that mean even? Oh, my God, you know. So I told the interpreter, he must not have understood what I said. I'm sorry. <laughs> I want to write this for somebody who doesn't know anything about meditation. And he repeated his answer word for word. And what I understood later much later, was that by hanging out with someone in the state of meditation, who is a meditator, he meant someone who's in the state of meditation all the time, mm -hmm. someone who's a master of meditation. And as I said, that state is 
it's contagious. You know, it's just like you can feel you can feel someone's joy when you're talking to them. You can feel their um, nervousness. You can feel their anger. You can feel that um, ecstasy when you're with such a person, and it starts to quiet your mind and get mm-hmm. you in touch with that yourself. Why has it taken you so long to do what you do for others so well, which is write a memoir? It was such a hard story to tell. You know, I mean, in the first place, it isn't. um, Indian spirituality is not kind of the norm in this country. It's not what most people can identify with. Mm -hmm. And all of the things that came up for me, when that wasn't what I expected. And how was I going to write about that? How was I going to write about the infatuation? So embarrassing infatuation. Mm. And the anorexia. Who is going to be able to relate to that? Mm-hmm. And then in 2012, I, w- I was teaching a, I also teach memoir here, and um, on, here on Whidbey Island. And I was going to a Whidbey Island Writers Association um, lockdown retreat. I was one of the teachers, and we, we were going to this reunion, and we were all supposed to bring something we'd been writing. And I hadn't realized that, and I had brought my old um, portable computer on which I had like a few pages of something I'd started on this story like six months before mm-hmm. and I thought nobody's going to be interested in this, you know. And so then I so I read that and they were fascinated. They said, you should write this book. I want to know more about this. Wow. So I decided I would. Incredible. What is the, for, the, for someone who uh, just kind of hears about the book, um, maybe glances at it in the bookstore, What's the message that you want them to get across uh, or to feel or to, to receive uh, from this work I of your would, life? I would like people to know that um, actually looking inside themselves, spiritual work is worth doing. And it doesn't, I mean, one of the reasons I did not name the Swami or the spiritual path is I, did, I wasn't making, I wasn't trying to make a point that I've got the best way, this is the way you should go at all. I mean, I embarked on something that presented itself in my life and that appealed to me, and I just continued taking more steps in that direction as I was drawn to do that. And I encourage other people to do the same thing. And it could be as simple as taking a writing course. It could be as simple as learning to paint. It could mm. be, you know, seeing that counselor that someone suggested and you thought, well, that, I don't really need that. You know, anything that you're drawn to do is worth investigating. It's worth doing work on yourself. Mm-hmm. I like that. I like that. Uh, Margaret, this is an incredible piece of work. I love you are um, uh, an incredible writer uh, because um, when you read the book, just as you read uh, a passage from your book, uh, it's literally like you're there. Uh, it's 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 a complete immersion. Um, is that something you learned over a period of time? How did you get into uh, editing, writing, but in particular, memoirs. Because memoirs is the hardest of the hard. I mean, that's just that's boot camp. I mean, that's I mean, that's Marine style. You know, military grade. That's uh, how did that happen for you? Oh, I don't think memoir is the heart of the hard. Actually, it's the it's the it's the most fun for me. I love this first person writing. 
Really? You know? It's it's uh, the the thing about writing memoir is that in the first place it is so much fun to do. I mean to write. We are each one of us the star of our own life. We are center stage, and yet we spend all of our time and energy, or so much of our time and energy, reading and listening to and watching other people's stories. Mm-hmm. And that mm-hmm. is the other thing that I hope that people who read this book will be inspired to do, is to sit down and write their own story. Two of my mm. friends actually have contacted me after writing my book. They want me to help them tell their story, and I'm thrilled about that. I might be calling you, too. <laughs> <laughs> Good. <laughs> But but the thing is, every time you do it, the main thing about it is you learn something. And we're going through this life so that we can learn from it. Mm -hmm. And the Mm -hmm. only way we can is to go back over it and look at it again. That's amazing. Kind of switching gears a little bit, um, someone who does want to write a memoir, where would they start? Oh, that's a good question. I, I think the first thing is to ask yourself, who you're writing it for, who you would really like to address this to, and then ask yourself, what is it you want to say to that audience? And then sit down and and look at the period of your life you want to write about because a memoir is not the whole life story. Mm -hmm. That's an autobiography. A memoir is the part of your life that most interests you, that you're most... um, tickled by or concerned by or disturbed by or whatever and and look at that part of your life and just make a, a list um, a little list about what are the main things that you i call it a hot topic list what are what are the hot topics in that and you know what is the the person you need to describe what is the event that you really have to talk about what is it that you really learned what is the thing that someone said to you that you never forgot just make a list of all of those things and it doesn't have to be complete you'll keep adding to it mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. then look at that list and whatever it is that really seems to throb for you whatever it is that sparkles pick that and then just Start writing, and I think, I mean, I call it a blurt. Just give yourself five or ten minutes at the most and say, okay, I'm going to write without stopping. Mm. And just let yourself write without thinking that you're going to publish this, without thinking that anyone's going to read it. Just write about that topic and see what comes up. Wow. Wow. That is incredible advice. You know, it was a great definition between the difference between an autobiography and a memoir. Well, I love memoir because that's what's really interesting to a person about their life. Well, it's, it's interesting because it's highly focused and it's about a, it's a, about an event or series of events that, that occurred as, a, as opposed to the entire totality of the story. You can write a memoir about one weekend or about one issue. Love that. Love that. So how long did it take you to write your memoir? Oh, that's a good question. That's, I mean, the thing is that I was doing... I mean, I also have to pay my rent. So. <laughs> That's kind of nice to do, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. so I was doing other work as I did it. But I think I really started, I had I had taken some time in the 1990s at some point to sit down and write down some experiences. And then I seriously started writing the book um, in the spring of 2012. Mm-hmm. So, that, so I, we could say from 2012 to now. Wow. Um, what is the writing process? What do, I mean, do you sit in a, 
you know, at a table? Do you do you go out somewhere? What is it? What is your uh, uh, writing process and environment? Well, I've been. I was. I was a, a journalist in my twenties, and so actually, I'm much better on a keyboard than I am with a pen. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. some of my intelligence is actually in my fingertips. <laughs> very different that way so so i and i've got it set up so that my computer is actually kind of in the center of my world and i love it this way i don't have a, for a while i had a separate little room that i would go off to write in but i didn't like that mm-hmm. and so um i i and i love this space I, i'm sitting there right now i love the space that i write in and um, I also it's it's I also work on other people's work at the same computer. Mm. Is it a desktop, laptop? What's your mode of choice? Well, it's a it's a it's an iMac, so it's got okay. a screen. Um, and I and I've and I've done I, I did a laptop earlier, um, but I, I I ended up getting I, I like the big screen. It's it's a lot gentler on the eyes. Who do you like to read in terms of memoirs? Oh, I just finished reading an amazing memoir called H's for Hawk by Helen McDonald. I just it was it was it was a um it's about a woman uh, she 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 from the from early childhood she has wanted to have a raptor, you know, a a, a bird of prey. For some reason she has been fascinated by this and she get and she um she has her father dies and it's in a huge event in her life and she gets a hawk and she's also studying what th wife white who is a, a, a writer from you know years ago in england also had um had tried to have a hawk and it's a very it's a hugely difficult thing to train and take care of these um these birds so it's it was a fascinating story i learned so much about hawks and about but about her as well. I mean, she gave so much of herself in the process of writing this story, and that's what I really appreciate in a memoir when somebody is sharing themselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Another memoir I really loved was um, "Orange Is the New Black" by Piper Kerman, I think her name is, uh, okay. who went to went to prison for a, for a year, um, and it was it was. Again, I mean, somebody who's found herself in a totally new environment, and and what it brought out of her, and how she survived, and it was wonderful, and it was frightening, and it was funny, and it was, I mean, everything I want from a book. Wow, that's incredible. Um, being that you, you know, this is your first book that you have have published, and and uh, your memoir. Uh, it, it obviously means, or it should mean, that there's more in you. Uh, did you find more things uh, that you wanted to write about didn't fit necessarily into the memoir, which you might want to bring out later on? Well, I'm 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 actually working on another book right now. It's I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for asking. It's, it's a family memoir. I mean, when right before uh-huh. I left the ashram, I I, I met my niece. For the first time in 23 years, her mother wow. let her see my, my her father's side of the family, my brother's side of the family, from the age of seven for various wow. reasons. And so I started writing a series of um, character sketches of, of the people on her father's side of her family, on my, in, from my family, for her, because she never had got a chance to know any of these people. Wow. 
And so writing writing her story and my brother's and, and those vignettes, I'm, tr- I'm trying to see if I can weave this together into a book that's called The Last of the Dunsmores, which was my maiden name and is her name. Oh, that's which awesome. Well, here's what I want you to do. Uh, when you do decide to morph it in or if you don't decide to morph it in or if you find some other things, I want you to come back on the show and talk about it. Oh, I'd love to do that. <laughs> you are amazing and fascinating. This has been wonderful. Thank you so much. You are so welcome. Uh, For the people listening, the book is Learning to Eat Along the Way. It is an incredible journey. It's a memoir uh, by Margaret Bendette, and uh, it is a a necessary, uh, uh, wonderful piece of writing that uh, should be on everyone's uh, 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 nightstand uh, before they go to bed because you're going to find not just her journey, but I think you're going to find yourself in her journey. Uh, Thank you again, my dear, for being with me. Thank you, Philippe. Take care. Bye-bye.